Hi, and welcome back to the second episode of the Pathfinders podcast. I hope you all enjoyed listening to the very first episode with YouTuber Matt Diavella. If you are yet to check out that episode, then feel free to give that a listen once you're finished with today's episode. Episode 2 features an interview with Brendan Green, a figure in the video game world who I've been a huge fan of now for a very long time. Brendan Green is more commonly known by his online alias as PlayerUnknown, and is the creator of one of the world's largest video games, PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds, or more commonly as it's known, PUBG. Brendan is hailed as the godfather and the creator of the Battle Royale genre, a genre which has taken the video game industry by storm over the past couple of years. The video game industry has forever found itself split into genres within its medium. Whether you're looking to play a sports title, a classic arcade game, a mobile puzzle game, or even a shooting game, there is something for everyone. By far the most popular genre of video games falls into the action and shooter category which according to Statistica made it for around 46% of the overall sales in the US during 2018. This genre has reigned supreme since the late 80s and early 90s with titles such as Doom stapling the first person shooter as one of the leading markets for video games. The term arena shooter is a popular sub-genre of the shooting category itself with some successful franchises including Call of Duty and Halo being incorporated into this. The late 90s saw a rise in multiplayer shooting games with titles such as 007 Goldeneye on Nintendo's N64 opening up the market to new players to this competitive multiplayer experience. For those of you who are wondering what an arena shooter is, it's simply a competitive multiplayer shooting game in an arena or small closed map. Games such as Halo and Call of Duty will pit players against one another in a closed off map whilst they're completing certain objectives in order to win the game. Plenty of game modes have stemmed from this subgenre over the years, and alongside different mechanics, ways of playing, interactions players have with one another, and the map they're playing in, players have taken to the genre with its popularity growing every year since those early 90s days. The arena shooter worked, players loved it, and nothing could seem to take away any of those player numbers from that genre of arena shooters. So, how do you go about completely changing and shaking up an entire industry that has been thriving for over 20 years? Well, that's exactly what Brendan Green did with his worldwide battle royale hit, PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds, aka PUBG. A battle royale game tends to be based on a larger map, hosting normally up to around 100 players. Players begin the game parachuting into a map and having to loot for supplies and weapons. Over time, a ring will close in around the map and eventually push players close together until one team is left the winner. In 2017, PUBG launched and completely took over the world. The term Battle Royale was a common word in the video game industry thanks to Brendan, and after a couple of years, titles such as Fortnite, Call of Duty, PUBG, and Apex Legends were dominating the shooting genre with their versions of Battle Royale. Battle Royales now seem like they are taking over the typical arena shooters as the number one sub-genre within the shooting category. I find myself playing the Battle Royale genre more than any others since the very start of Brendan's early Battle Royale games. So it was a pleasure being able to sit down and talk to someone who is hailed as the godfather of Battle Royale games. This is an interview for a feature in our upcoming magazine we are making, Volume 6 of 99% Lifestyle. With the epidemic and most of the world going through some sort of lockdown over the past few months, the issue has been delayed until things begin to get back to normal. This podcast episode is a different type of content than the feature that will be released in the magazine, so if you're a fan of this interview then I would recommend keeping your eyes peeled for when that volume is available. But for today, please enjoy today's episode with Brendan Green, which will explore his career, PUBG, changing the video game industry, and his thoughts on esports and his future projects. Um, so just to get things started, Brendan, are you able to give me a quick introduction um, to who you are and what you do? 
Sure. So I am uh, Brandon Green, or most people know me as Player Unknown. Uh, I'm uh, director of special projects at PUBG Corp, but I was creative director on uh, PUBG, uh, the battle royale game, um, short for Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. Um, I have been uh, <clears throat> hailed as the father of battle royale. I guess I created the the initial mod way back in the Arma series, maybe five six years ago. Uh, developed it through various iterations which eventually ended up being uh, PUBG. Okay. And um, how did you get involved in the video game industry? Because Liz told me that you was a DJ and photographer as well before video games. Yeah, no, I was kind of a very, very casual uh, gamer. I played some of the AAA titles, like some of the Call of Duty, Battle early Battlefield, um, Assassin's Creed, that kind of game, but very infrequently as i said i was i was a graphic designer kind of by day and then at night either djing or photog photographing events so that's where my time was spent so i didn't really spend a lot of time gaming um but then i was living in brazil um and i was there for about six years and in the final two years i was kind of saving money to come home doing work and then just staying at home a lot um, I got back into gaming where I discovered uh, the DayZ mod on, on Arma 2 and that kind of opened my eyes to open world gaming which I hadn't really seen before and this was a, a new concept for me and this kind of drew me back into gaming and made me kind of fell in, fell in love with it again. Um, so that's how I got kind of got back into gaming and then over the last five years I've kind of gone from being a, a modder to a consultant to yeah, creative director on a, on a uh, like a major title, I guess. And how was it you came to be in Brazil? Was that from the photography and DJing that led you to travel? No, love. Um, went okay. chatting a, a lovely lady, <laughs> and uh, then I uh, uh, we married, but didn't work out. Uh, we separated a few years later, and then I was there by myself because it's Brazil, right? Uh, yeah, so that's that's why I was in Brazil. So uh, I had stayed there, and and life it was tough there because. As a, as a gringo in a small town. I wasn't in Rio or Sao Paulo, I was in Tanca Virginia. It's a, a small, maybe 100,000 people or so. Uh, so quite a small town. So um, yeah, uh, tough to live as, a, as, a, as an outsider, I guess. Yeah, and um, during those those stages where you talked about Armour and, um, and Daisy, um, how much influence did that have on you getting a job with the H1 uh, Z1 game is is could you fill me in a bit about that process? Yeah, so I was modding. Um, I had done the Daisy Battle Royale, which is the first iteration. It had zombies and all kinds of stuff in it. It was a very basic version of the game mode. But then Daisy kind of graduated from being a mod to a standalone game that was released, um, and I think about around the Christmas time. And and actually, a lot of the, the more popular streamers at the time, like Lyric and, and Sacriel and stuff, they were playing my mod at the time of uh, Daisy being announced it was going standalone or that it would be out. So then, as the Daisy game came out, a lot of people kind of migrated away from Battle Royale or Daisy Battle Royale and the Daisy mod to the full on game. I took that as an opportunity then to kind of graduate the game mode from Arma 2 into Arma 3, which had just been released. It just came out of beta. So I was confident it'd it, uh, sort of be solid for the game mode. And I kind of refined at that stage. So the Battle Royale game mode that most people know, which is the plane dropping people over, um, the blue zone, that kind of was, while it was born in an Arma 2, was kind of refined. Zombies were taken out. You know, I put uh, an actual plane in to drop people and spread them across the island. So these were all added in Arma 3. Uh, 
uh, it was my kind of friendliness with streamers and I like streamers like Lyric, um, who I basically would just give them anything they wanted, not because I wanted them to play the game. I just recognized that these guys had communities. And if I gave them like sub Sundays and this kind of access to their own custom servers, I knew it would grow the Battle Royale community. Um, and it was through these streamers that uh, one of the designers on H1Z1 saw Battle Royale and thought this would be a great fit for their upcoming title, H1Z1. So they got in contact, offered uh, me a chance to kind of include the game mode within H1. They actually thought I wouldn't accept because Arma and, and Daisy is quite realistic and, and theirs wasn't so realistic. So, uh, But I jumped on the opportunity because I saw it as a chance to get the game mode in front of a lot more people. Um, modding inherently is, is tough for the end user uh, to sort of download, add a mod, maybe put in some command line stuff. It's it's not the easiest process. It's getting easier now, but it's often mm. off put to a lot of the, the gaming public. So I was given the opportunity to have a, a play now button, basically, and I jumped at that. So while it wasn't my vision for a Battle Royale game, I just knew that it would help get Battle Royale in front of a lot more people. And, and it did. You know, H1 had a concurrent of, I think, 150K at one stage. I mean, it was really quite popular. So that... That's how I got into pop into um, to H one basically. I've got quite a few questions to ask regarding what you just said. Then, so apologies if I jump around a little bit, but um, it seems like a lot of um, a lot of mods were made from that initial um, armor game. Um, was it quite easy to to mod that, and was it easy for you? How long did it take to make that that battle royale mod from that game? I mean, originally it took me maybe about a month to, and, and it wasn't even complicated. It's like 2000 lines of code. It's not super uh, a complicated game mode. It's a blue zone, a red zone, and something that drops the players out, you know, in a loot system. But all the logic behind it I had, or the way at least I thought in my mind how it worked. So it literally took me kind of begging and borrowing for code from other mod makers. Uh, Arma is relatively easy to mod, but still it's tough. You need to have an understanding of code because you can do it in an editor, but I liked coding. I, I was a web designer, so I had kind of some experience with, you know, JavaScript and this kind of language. So uh, the code of, of Arma is quite similar to these web languages. So it's kind of easy to understand, kind of. So I kind of, it, yeah, it's, it, it's kind of easy to mod, but yeah, it still requires some effort. Um, I'm not the greatest coder. So for me, it was quite tough, but initially it took about, yeah, about a month to write the initial code. And where did, say, the inspiration for I'm BR come from? Because I did read that it might have been from the Japanese film Battle Royale, you know, the same one. No, well, the film gave me the, the idea for the name, right? Yeah. I mean, than anything else. I mean, I, I looked at the game mode they had in the game, and I love the idea of providing, and even in that first iteration, Daisy Battle Royale, it started in a shed. Um, and, and PUBG, those first, very first betas that we had, we started people on the ground in a shed. And that was me just seeing if it would work. And it, it doesn't, going back to the plane was the right way to do it. If, if, you know, we discovered that in Army 3. But initially, it was more like the movie where, you know, you had 40 or 20 people that ran and got backpacks, and each backpack had a, a random item in it. And so it was much more like the, the movie Battle Royale. Um, but then I kind of looked at the game mode and I was inspired by um, the Survivor games. And it was a take on the Hunger Games that was in the Daisy mod and Brian Hicks and Jordan Taylor developed it. Um, and it was, yeah, it was just a take on the Survivor game or on the Hunger Games, but 
to my mind, the zones weren't clearly marked in the game. They were controlled by admins and not by a computer. So I just wanted to make it fairer. And also the Survivor Games was designed for streamers only and, and not for, it wasn't like a game mode everyone could play. So I wanted to do that because I wanted to play it because I wasn't a streamer. So mm-hmm. then making it, I was making it for me to play basically. <laughs> but yeah. you know, I, I was kind of inspired by the movie and that I loved Battle Royale. I thought it was cooler than the Hunger Games. Um, um, but the game mode itself in Battle Royale was squares and I couldn't code squares because they're just too difficult. So a circle came from me one, trying to kind of solve the problem that if you grid on an island, one of these two players are in two separate portions of the grid and can't get to each other. You know, it's a problem with game design. So the circle was born out of me not being able to code squares, but also because it solved that problem. And mm. the ever-decreasing circle, it's kind of, that alone took me a good two or three weeks to kind of just fix because it wasn't easy to do within, uh, at least uh, and um, with the H1Z1 King of the Kill mode, um, I, I instantly fell in love with that when I, when I started playing that game. And I feel like a lot of people that I was talking to were kind of getting a bit bored of the a typical arena shooter. Um, do you think a lot of people was crying out for a different type of online multiplayer mode and that was at the perfect time the bat- where these Battle Royale games started? Uh... Yeah, it's what I wanted. I mean, I was playing... like I, I play Battlefield 1 still, but still it you know, after an hour of playing, it just gets a little, for me, a little repetitive, where it's just live, die, and repeat, right? And for me, I wanted, I love that about DayZ, was that you valued your character. Even if you played it for two or three hours, those two or three hours were the most tense experience you have because you value that person you're, you're taking care of within the game. And with Battle Royale, because we give you the freedom to play whatever game you want, there's no AI, it's other players, there's a blue zone, and that's it, right? Uh, and the red zone, but we won't talk about that. Um, but you know, it's it's the freedom I think that it gives the player to show that I'm a better thinker than you. You know, it's a game of decisions, right? It's not, yeah, it comes down to shooting a lot of the time, but it's more that I can outwit you and I have a better strategy for winning than you. And it's not even about the shooting; it's it's about the surviving for me. So I think that's why, at least, I, I made the game was because I was sick of kind of that lived I repeat and wanted to give something myself that was more challenging. And I, yeah, I think people were calling out for that, or at least. <laughs> it turned out they were calling out for that, right? Or we discovered. Yeah, yeah. It definitely feels like that every single game you play, whereas arena shooters, they can be very similar to one another. It, every game seems to feel unique. You'll never really have the same experience in a, in a different game, basically. I said I, I look at it very much. It's like poker, right? I mean, it's like you get the same deck of cards every time you land on the island, and everyone starts with nothing. And, and how you play the game is up to you. If you want to bluff, if you want to do this, and it's real adrenaline you get every time. It's not like a simple dopamine hit, um, which a lot of games give you, this is real adrenaline because you don't know the situation you're going to be in. And you see it across every one of these battle royales, be it, you know, um, PUBG or Fortnite or, or Blackout or any of them, they really give you that sort of adrenaline hit because it is a different experience every time you play because the game does end in a different location with different weapons every time. And uh, when you was working on H1Z1, how did that transition into uh, PUBG? How was how did that come about? Was you contacted by someone or? Yeah, so I was kind of more like a consultant for H1Z1. So they had their own team and, and they kind of did their own thing. And I kind of let them do their own thing, really, because, you know, yes, it was my game mode, but they wanted their own spin on it, which was much simpler than what I had in my own head. So uh, I kind of wrapped up with them when they were kind of when they made it into their own product, H1Z1 King of the Kill. I kind of, we went our separate ways at that time. And literally a few weeks later, uh, 
I got an email um, from Chang An Kim from from Blue Hole Geno Games uh, at the time, uh, saying, "Listen, I've loved Battle Royale. I've wanted to make a Battle Royale for ten years. I love what you've done with H1 and and all the other mods." And he kind of everything he wrote in that initial email was was ticking all my boxes. He was kind of talking about being open world and and modding and giving this kind of stuff. So, you know, I was very excited at this stage because. I was kind of getting a little worried that I wouldn't get to make my own game because I didn't know how to use an engine. I wasn't a very proficient coder and I had no experience running a studio. So I was really wondering would I get to make my own Battle Royale. So when he called me or when he sent me this email, I jumped at the chance and, and uh, we were on a Skype call, I think the next day. Uh, we chatted for hours. Uh, the next week I was out in Seoul. I met the team, I met uh, the company, all the directors, and I was very impressed by, yeah, they were in an MMO studio and they were Korean, but I was very impressed by the quality of work they did. And they really, you know, made sure that even, you know, it's a fantasy MMO and you can be forgiven for like cutting corners a lot of time, but they really made sure that, you know, every little detail they made was really well made. And I really liked that because that was what I wanted from making a game that was just well produced. And, even from like those early days of Daisy Battle Royale, I did all the posters myself, I did all the artwork, and I always had this kind of, I wanted the game to look and, and feel, and as long as it was well made, I was happy. So yeah, I was in Korea then two weeks later to make PUBG. Uh, I moved like a day before my 40th birthday. I uh, spent my 40th birthday with, um, yeah, with lots of people I didn't know, but they bought me cake, so it was nice. Uh, <laughs> And some very nice whiskey. So uh, as an Irishman, I was happy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, what was it like moving there? Because you moved straight into a creative director role as well, didn't you? Um... Yeah, like with no experience in the industry, not having never led a team before I was given the role. As, but look, they really, they supported me. The team knew that I didn't have that experience. I had a great game design lead who who shouldered a lot of the, the burden of like, you know, doing the, the analysis and design of the, the core system. So I was very lucky to have a team that fully knew that I didn't have this experience, but were willing to step up and then support me. Mm. And did you have a lot of self-belief in yourself as well? Um, or did you find it quite daunting going into that? Oh, no, I've got stupid ego or confidence. I just think this is this will work, right? I mean, but I kind of knew from uh, from watching H or from H1, from Arma 3, and then seeing streamers like Lyric. Like, he was my touchstone, that like if he was still playing the game, I knew it was good, because he's such a fickle uh, a gamer, you know, that if he doesn't like something, he will tell you straight up, I don't like this, I think this is shit. So, you know, him coming back to Armour 3, even after months away, coming back, playing and, and seeing him still enjoying it, I knew that I had something. So kind of going into making PUBG, I had that kind of confidence that I knew this this game mode would, yeah, it had a little bit of a choice when it comes to weapons and lots of attachments, but I knew this core idea or at least i believe this core idea would work so yeah i i kind of have that kind of even with this you know next title it's like i have a kind of a, a blind confidence that listen i want to play this game and listen if others don't want to that's fine but i think it's a good idea right uh, and i i think yeah some have play, said it's ego but i just think it's yeah sometimes blind confidence maybe stupid confidence but let's see and also as well, because when you launched PUBG, you also kind of had your online alias attached to the game as well, quite clearly. How, how did that Player Unknown come about? Was that we're going to call it? So the mod was called Player Unknown's Battle Royale, but I had seen at that stage. I, not that I'd seen the writing on the wall, but I'd seen a lot of companies were thinking of doing a Battle Royale title. So I just thought that Battle Royale is going to be used everywhere, and if you call your game that, it's not good. So we thought, and as well, I thought like you know, as as we did that, these would be 
games that would be more than just Battle Royale. You know, that it was more than just the Battle Royale game mode. So I thought calling it something else. So PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds was just a name that was knocking around in my head. Suggested it to CH. He said yes. And yeah, it was a, risking a lot. Like putting your name on the on the game is, is yeah, it'll either be brilliant or you will never work in games again, right? I mean, uh, it's one or the other. <laughs> and how long was it in development um, for before the early access was open? Oh, it was like nine months. Okay. We, I went, I started on... March 28th um, and we launched into early access in December I mean it was or was no it was earlier than that it was oh god when was early access uh, yeah it was oh no it was a year later sorry yeah mm-hmm. it, was, it was it was like I'm trying to remember because we launched either into early access on the 23rd of March or we yeah and then we went full yes yeah, sorry that was it because we said we'd remain in early access for six months and it took nine months. But the actual development of the game took a year. Mm. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we spent about a year developing it. Like when we, when I joined, they had a prototype, a very, very rough prototype. So that, like, and I was very, very early access because you immediately ask questions, right? It's like, you know, will you leave early access? You know, that being the first. Um, but I, I mentioned these concerns with, with the ch and like that's why we did, did like a beta phase and sort of in the kind of six months leading up to early access launch we opened up the game to testers like we were showing them our prototype like our there's a video on my i think it's vimeo channel that has that very i think it's our second alpha test and it's quite literally like a a prototype of the game like there's the map is bare it's like there's just houses in the middle of nowhere there's no set dressing it's it's a very very clear prototype of a game but we believed because it was a multiplayer game and it is strictly multiplayer, having that sort of early access from, um, you know, that community is very important so that you, you know, when you do eventually launch into early access, the game is somewhat stable. Uh, and that's something I wanted. I didn't want to release a buggy game into early access. And I remember like that last weekend of beta testing where we had, I think, I think 60 or 80,000 beta testers generally. Um, and we, uh, that last weekend of beta testing, people were having fun. I was watching like streamers like Break and stuff, and there were no game-breaking bugs. Yes, there were some hilarious bugs, but in general, the game was playing smooth and running, and the systems were working. So I was very excited and happy at that stage, and very relieved that you know the game was working. Um, it's a credit to the team. I mean, to to pull a, a multiplayer game with a like it starts, I think, like 80 players uh, or 64 players, I think we started with. But then we bumped it up to 100. And, you know, there's very few Battle Royales that do that 100 player. And it takes a lot of work. Yeah. And in that development phase, you talked to earlier about how um, you was giving people, like, you know, the streamers and stuff, anything they wanted. Was that kind of in your mind in the development phase that the streamers would be key to this game's success? Oh, for sure. I mean, we were really lucky in that. I had a community of streamers, you know, we didn't, when our first marketing leads joined, we told them like they were asking how much did we spend on marketing in that first, you know, early access and we didn't spend anything. I mean, we, we really had zero market and no need for it because we had such a strong community of people that wanted to see what my battle royale game would be, right? Like, I mean, I had H1 and, and people knew my name, but you know, now getting a chance to make my own game was was a big draw on a lot of the streamers. And as I said, like, yeah, back all the way through those mod developments, I just made sure that I was just always friendly towards streamers. And I, I did a lot of charity events 
for um, extra life and stuff will be raised. You know, now it's 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 small money, but like fifty, sixty thousand dollars with streamers. And I kind of always used my game to kind of help them promote themselves as well, right? I mean, it's a it's a back and forth kind of relationship you have to have. Mm. But my thing was that I never asked them for anything. I never went with a lot of games. They'll go and ask them for things. For me, it was like, you want to come play my game? That's great. What do you need? Right. I mean, it was never come play my game, please, because you know they get hearing they hear that twenty times a day. Yeah, yeah. And did you ever hear feedback that actually from from individual streamers that actually impacted the game as such, where you actually made changes on the back of their feedback? Oh, oh we heard very loud feedback. Our community is great because they they are so passionate, and it's not just from it's not like a PUBG community or a H one community. It's like a battle royale community across all battle royale games where they just they want a good battle royale game and for us they want a good realistic so like with us we changed the way looting happened and the community just roared at us and went well actually no this is this is the way you should be doing it or it should be the old way because of these advantages or this and and they pointed out points that we hadn't seen right it was like well this requires a mechanical skill and it's like oh my god you're right so we reverted to what they wanted and and they have provided a, a, a to be a very good touchstone in all that, where we roll out changes, they will let us know very quickly if they like it. And it's why we have a test server because we share that with them. And we're very lucky to have a very vocal community and they try to tell us what they want from the game. And we, we try to listen as much as we can. It's, it's it's one of our like core values where we put our fans first. Yeah, and I can imagine it can also be frustrating when you've got fans that are so passionate about the game where it can borderline on, um, I suppose, very negative feedback as such or where they want changes like there and now and various other things that they don't like about the game how hard is it to deal with that aspect well no i mean we've been i've been dealing with feedback <laughs> let's call it feedback for for the last um five years and you know it's great because listen sometimes you know it their passion for the game gets in front of you know giving you a clear example of what's wrong you know like you know fix your fucking game is not helpful you know uh fix the fucking lag in the game, that is somewhat helpful, right? I mean, because it's pointing towards what the problem is. So we have great community managers now that like funnel this kind of wide ranging um, feedback into, you know, what you get people that want stuff that's better for them just because they've lost in a certain way. But you've also got a large majority of people that want stuff that is is better for the whole community in general. And they're thinking about how the game can be made better. So we have these kind of funnels where like across the world now we have like community sentiment and community feedback reports that come out on a weekly basis that kind of, you know, show the dev team because we're now like we're 500 plus, I think, right across the world. So, you know, we're, we're quite a large company. So trying to get all that feedback from everyone because we're a global game and it's not just one market we have to look after now. So it's tough, but we, I think we've managed to, over the last year, build these kind of, as I said, funnels that the, the right info gets to the right people. And um, how, how long would you say into the early access when the game kind of started really blowing up and taking over the world as such? Because it really felt like it, it did just kind of take over the world at some point before it actually fully launched. Well, yeah, I mean, that was, Jesus, um, I think it was like six months in, um, we had something like 3 million players online, or like CCU was it was crazy, it was, uh, yeah, it was about six months out, it, was just, it seemed that everyone was playing us, it was, it was fantastic, it was, yeah, I think that was, and then about three months later we launched. Did that kind of just trickle up, or did it just kind of one day just suddenly spiked and then just kept going up and up? No, it just kept going up and up. I mean, I just, we, we 
what broke a million copies sold in 16 days or something i mean it was it was crazy the speed and it just was that kind of curve and it seemed to kind of go uh um almost um parabolic at one stage where it just especially when china got wind of the game and liked the game um which was unusual um it really rocketed up uh, and we were selling crazy numbers of copies daily i mean you know we were now and now you see it even with mobile i mean mobile now has again it's taken over the world it's like 400 million plus downloads i mean it's i think like 50 million players every day i mean it's it's crazy numbers it's because uh, i remember like league of legends that was the game that's the biggest game right it's like 100 million monthly actives is kind of where you aim for that's like you know we get like 50 million a day now on, on, on mobile which is just it's crazy i never expected this it's it's beyond what i ever could have hoped for yeah and that, that isn't normal either for a game in early access is it because i suppose early access the point of it is to iron out the kinks for when the red the game is ready to launch or such is it or is it for another reason well no i mean especially for a multiplayer game early access we needed it because listen you're building an eight by eight map i mean um you know you can qa as much as you can internally but like having a player base of millions qa for you is, is much quicker i guess right uh, but also it's it's because it's an online and a multiplayer game it's it's super important to get people's feedback on how the guns feel how you know the speed of the circles feel all this to to really give us and we we have a whole data science division that looks at this data now on a daily basis to kind of really start to tune the game now because the game runs well now it's you know the maps we're ha we have yes we've some improvements to make but overall we're happy uh and now it's really about tuning and balancing and, and trying to make sure that the game you know lives up to what people want from it um but early access for us was it was a chance for us to iterate and improve you know we really we saw it as like Facebook have their kind of permanent beta status, right? And we saw early access as the start of that, where we would just continually get it to a stage that we felt, okay, this is feature complete. Now we can just continually start to iterate. So early access was to develop out all those features, make sure we added some um, that people wanted and get feedback. Like, you know, the frying pan, uh, it was a mistake. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, no, it was because early access we weren't super strict with um pushing code and stuff uh, internally and we were testing um to see what it would be like if the frying pan w could deflect stuff and if it could be bulletproof we didn't pull it out of the build uh before it got pushed to live and the bulletproof frying pan went to live players loved it um, we couldn't remove it then, um, but it wasn't technically a, a decision we made, like a game design decision. We decided to put in a bulletproof frying pan. It kind of went in by accident. And even the frying pan was put in as a tribute to, to Battle Royale, even though there's no frying pan in Battle Royale. There's a saucepan lid, but because I forgot, uh, <laughs> we now have a frying pan. So uh, it's in there by happenstance, which is, which is nice. Mm, and it's probably one of the most iconic symbols as well, isn't it, for the, for, for the game? Yeah, really is. I mean, I, I really want to get us to a stage where we're, we can do, you know, um, uh, grenade tennis with, uh, with the frying pan. Mm. It is a dream. And um, um, did at any point you kind of take a step back and realize that, say, for instance, this industry, I suppose you could go back to as far as, say, like GoldenEye, Doom, where arena shooters have dominated kind of the industry since that period, that you have really shaken up and changed the entire game industry with this new genre? At what stage did you kind of realize that? 
Um, <laughs> I don't want to say I still haven't realized it, but I mean, I keep getting told, yeah, that I like I changed gaming. Like, you know, I read an article that I said, you know, it was the most important game since I think Modern Warfare in the way that it changed how games were played. And that's great. Right. I mean, I think it's it's wonderful that people think that of. But for me, I think it was, again, just people wanted something different from a shooter. They wanted to. To ha like I said, we give players freedom. Like if you're, if you want to drop at school and go crazy, you can. If you want to like get out of the the way to uh, um, one of the the far off towns, you can as well. There's no right way to play. Me, I love a bush, and I find a bush, and I hide in a bush, and I get scared, but I still get the top three, right? Um, but you know, it's. I think it is. It's. I don't think arena shooters are going anywhere. But I think this is it. There just needs to be kind of an evolution of how people play games. And I think we're waiting for the next one now, right? I mean, now there has been a spate of battle royales. We had the same with MOBAs, where you had a massive spate of MOBAs. Same with, uh, you know, MMORPGs. So I think, you know, gaming's still very young, right? So I think there's a lot of uh, exploration left in the space. Yeah. And do you think battle royales will follow the same pattern as arena shooters where they do kind of get a bit stale after a while or do you think there's still quite a long lifespan in them i suppose where arena shooters guaranteed to get a little stale i mean with everything listen it gets overdone right i mean look at movies like uh, apocalypse or the, the yeah it came out and then there was a spate of, of of um meteor movies that came out right it happens with every it's same with mobiles but i think you know, there will always be those battle royals. I think we're one of them that, like, will just remain. It's like CSGO, right? That it just, it is the 5v5 shooter, right? I mean, it's the same with, with Dota and League. I think space for a few battle royals, for sure, because it's an interesting space. I mean, I don't think it's going to be one battle royale and that's it. I think there's space, but it's guaranteed to get stale, of course. I mean, you know, people's habits change, but I think battle royale stands a good chance of remaining somewhat interesting because of, it's inherent gameplay, which is it's unique every time. It's not, it's you're not getting used to the map, you know, or you know every pixel. It's it's going to be a different experience every time you play. So I think that gives it some legs, right? Mm, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And um, I suppose you must have realized early on that there would be competition from other games who would make barrels like Fortnite, Apex, Call of Duty. Um, uh -huh. Was you? kind of aware with that very early on or was that something that you kind of didn't really think too much about until it just happened well i mean we never really thought about our competition really i mean even internally now we really try to focus we have our own internal roadmap we we look at obviously what other games do but really we we try to focus on what we want from our game so look of course there's competition um it happens within every field especially when you make something popular you know everyone wants a piece of that pie and you know it's yeah, but like, I mean, we had, you said like everyone in the world played us and then Fortnite came along and showed us really what a meaningful phenomenon was. I mean, they, you know, they really took gaming more mainstream than I think we ever did. And, and it's, it's crazy to see how like Battle Royale was featured on Ellen. I mean, you know, that's to me like ticking the box. It's like, you know, these, it's amazing to see the heights that I guess Battle Royale has taken gaming and, and into the sort of public arena. Mm. And was there any kind of frustration coming from that? Because surely some of the barrels must have copied some elements of what I suppose you created. Oh, I mean, I've seen some in, in, in China that are straight up copies. Like they literally used our assets. I mean, it's, but look, for me, it was never about that. I always thought it as a game mode. I mean, we have success. We, we don't really need to worry. I mean, there will always be competition. But I think if you focus on your own product, you know, you don't really, you know, as long as your own product is good. 
that that's what I worry about. And, and for me, it was I never really worried about others. And it was it was more about just making what I had good. And um, I did hear you talk about um, esports as well, and that was something that you was very um, you had like this grand vision for it very early on into the development. Did you kind of think that that would be a big part of PUBG's success? Or was that just something that you wanted to see, even if it didn't kind of take off as much as you would have liked the esports scene for PUBG? Well, no, I mean, I always wanted, I always, it's one of the reasons I sat down to play Battle Royale because I looked at stuff like CSGO and League and, and I always thought, you know, it's just two teams of five against each other. You know, let's fill the arena with players and Battle Royale does that, right? I mean, like you can put a hundred players or whatever, we have like 64 players into an arena and it looks great. I mean, for me, esports was always the dream. It was amazing to see our first one in Berlin and being on that stage was you know, it was uh, humbling to see we reached uh, what I always wanted from it, which was Battle Royale in, a, in an arena, right? But again, for us, yes, it was an important uh, goal of ours in those early days, but we always said, like, if the community don't want it, we won't do it. But they wanted it. I mean, they were screaming out for competitive modes from very early on, but it's a battle. I mean, it, it really, to set up a new esport, it doesn't happen overnight. You know, you look at those early days of CS, of League, it took three, four years to really come up with a system that worked, that, that was fair, that the fans liked, that the, the players liked. And, and we have a similar struggle, I think. You know, we're in, in year two now. And, you know, I see this, the initial kind of um, planning taking some more years. I mean, we have a five-year plan right now, but that may change. You know, that it's, it's, it's a difficult market to be in because no one has really done it before. And there is no kind of guidebook as to this is how you create an eSport or this is how you manage an eSport. So it's a challenge. It's still our goal, at least, because I think inherently it's a very watchable and understandable eSport. I mean, our Battle Royale, uh, PUBG, I think, out of all of the eSports, I think it's one of the most understandable and relatable for not just gamers, but for everyone. I mean, I think my my grandmother could understand uh, PUBG because it looks like real life, right? I mean, I think other esports struggle with that in that, you know, you're looking at Dota where even me as a gamer needs to turn on the new noob stream and still I don't really understand what's going on, right? I mean, it's it's so complicated, but PUBG isn't, right? It's a simple... So I think we we stand again, we have legs, right? I think we stand a chance to to make something out of Battle Royale esports. But again, it's going to be a difficult struggle because no one's done it before yeah and when you're setting up that do you kind of just open it up for organizations and people to apply or are you contacting organizations and being like do you want to make a team for this PUBG esports how, how does that work oh no so we have um like a structure um that we want for our league for our global we have like an each region has its own um uh like a league but we leave that up to like third-party organizers so we have a partner within each I think like Face It and um, oh, uh, GLL and a few others. So like we have these partners worldwide that run the leagues uh, regarding professional teams. That's up to them. If they want to enter into Battle Royale Esports, especially PUBG Esports, that's up to them. Some have come in, some have left. It's kind of a little bit um, fluid right now. But again, it's because the esports just starting. You know, it's some are waiting, some are, you know, deciding, okay, right now is not the time or there's other esports they want to pursue. It's... Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit uh, like the Wild West, I guess. Um, but, it, it, but yeah, we basically try to set up the league and the, the common rule set, and then everyone else kind of decides if they want to be part of it. 
And where do you see the industry in, in esports actually going? Because it, it feels like every year it seems to be getting bigger and bigger. Do you feel like it is that's the way it's going as more mainstream? I think there's more more and more call for like good competitive esports viewing. I mean, you you have a fan base there. You have people that love watching games, you know, that's shown by Twitch. Like look, every, all of these streaming services show year on year growth, right? I mean it's gaming in general like it's what three times more money than than music last year or something like it's it's been crazy and that's only going to get bigger because you know the younger generations are just growing up uh, connected and, and with technology so i think that that sort of upper age of, of a gamer is going to get higher and higher and higher so there's going to be more and more people that want to watch games rather than watch tv for example right so or you know even watch sport rather than watch esports so it's yeah i think it's it's going to keep growing and, and mm. but again as i said it's quite the wild west right now i mean i think there yeah. needs to be sort of some temping down and kind of like let's get organized and make sure that people aren't getting ripped off and you know we're creating a sport here or at least we're trying to create sports so there has to be sort of some kind of you know not union but you know some something to kind of for people to come together and go this is serious you know especially for the amounts of money that are being competed over like you look at fortnite world cup you know they're paying the winner more than most of like the the serious sports competitions like uh you know the pga tour and stuff like this you know is less money than than fortnite world cup so we need regulation you know we need to keep it up because not everyone's out for the best for everyone right i mean um, yeah 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 and do you think there's kind of like i suppose mainstream media people like bbc or, or something like that they they don't really understand fully what it's about yet because i remember when that Fortnite world cup took place and a lot of places reporting on you know 13 year old wins x amount of uh, x amount of money and um if i was to tell my parents what an esport was they probably wouldn't have a clue what it is and do you think there's that's kind of mainstream for that generation that there isn't really much knowledge of what is going on and what it's all about you see it on espn on as you said bbc and stuff i even i try to explain what skins are to my, my dad i mean and how uh, a virtual jacket in my game is worth a thousand dollars right i mean and he's looking at me going what but how do you mean you don't own it you can't wear this jacket but you're still paying it that so you know there is this lack of understanding from an older generation i mean bbc are good they have some good reporters on, on newsbeat and stuff that really try to you know take gaming to the masses and explain it in an understandable way but you do still see that level of ignorance like espn show dota or something like that so people are going what the hell is this kids game doing on my my sports network right so but there is a uh a, a, a are calling for it i mean yes you will have these loud boisterous voices that don't understand what's going on but the majority want it and i think you're going to see more and more of it being pushed into the mainstream yeah okay and i'll want to quickly jump back onto PUBG um, and talk about uh, why you decided to take a step back from the Battle Royale and work on special projects. Can you talk more about did, why you did that? Did you feel like it, the job was kind of done? or? With, yeah, so I've had other games in my head. I mean, I, you know, I got into gaming, as I said, about five years ago, and since then I've had the chance to think about, you know, first was Battle Royale and then what else I want. And um, I sat down with our CEO last year and was trying to figure out what I wanted next or what we wanted to do next. What was next for player unknown or for me? And, and, you know, with Battle Royale, there's an amazing team there that know what it is we want from the game. So I, I'm, I was lucky that I could step back, right, and, and leave the team to run the game. So, you know, Special Projects, which is where, where I am now, was just my chance to go explore what's next for player unknown or what's next for, for gaming, right, at least in my head. And, and that's what 
why I stepped back. It wasn't really stepping back. I still like we have internal committees that we kind of share knowledge uh, in that sort of broader scope of crafting in general. And, you know, we're always anything that's happening on a bigger scale or a more high level scale with any of the games, including Bungie, I'm kind of involved in. And we really try to, you know, make sure that, yeah, listen, I might be working on other projects, but, you know, people still value the opinion uh, and, and want it. So, you know, for that, I feel quite lucky. Hmm. And was this an, a completely new team or was this just uh, taken from, so it wasn't transferred across from the Barreal team? We started from scratch. Um, I hired uh, some directors and then they built out their teams, but we started from scratch, fully new team. We're at, um, I think, 20 people now. Um, so really, really good team. And we're working, like I can't share obviously anything that we're working on, um, but uh, you know, it really is, we're, looking at some different experiences i'm not working on PUBG 2 i'm not working on a shooter game it's it's something different and i'm excited to share i mean it's it's cool to get to work on 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 new things and especially some of the stuff we're doing um yeah it's cool <laughs> yeah and i know you probably aren't like you said you're not able to share too much and i know you said that it's not going to be a barrel but is the games you're working on are they again born from that a passion where it's something that you want to see that isn't currently out there that is going to be something different not particularly a genre but just a, a, a game that isn't out there i'm not trying to create more genres i mean i really the, the game i'm working on at the moment it's we had an idea uh we have a problem we wanted to solve and this was an idea built on top of that and it's it's an experience it's yeah, I mean, it's it's again. I, we were one of the questions we were asked was like, what is a player unknown game, right? I mean, what makes a player unknown game? So, you know, we were kind of deciding that it's a game that is unforgiving and a little bit brutal. Which, you know, with with PUBG, we don't tell you how to play the game. You know, we put you into an aircraft and you parachute into an island, and how you survive is up to you. We don't. There's new now. There are tutorials now, but when we first started, there were never tutorials. It was always. Uh, you you know thrown in the deep end and um, and with any other games this is something I want to kind of focus on that these are not going to be easy games right these are not going to be kind of hold your hand and this is how you play it's just, this is an experience if you want to take it all that's up to you but for me making games and why I started modding in the first place was deliver an experience that was unforgiving and I didn't really care that people bitched about how hard it was because if you did that I'd make it harder because you know I really do believe that people like a challenge and. You know, a lot of games worry about, you know, holding your hand and making sure that it fits. It's something for everyone. For me, you know, a player unknown game is, yeah, it's for a particular type of person. And that person likes a challenge. And is there anything that you are able to share that perhaps you haven't shared with anyone else yet? Even if it's something small, I guess. Well, I mean, as I said, like, it's not PUBG 2 when it's not a shooter. I mean, I haven't really shared that before. Uh, I mean, that is an experience. It's... That's I can't yeah I can't really share anything else. It's because hmm. yeah it's it's exciting but yeah it's not PUBG two. <laughs> okay, and is there any kind of uh, are you able to share perhaps when you're looking to get this out? Is it within say a couple of years time or is there really no time limit on when this will get done? Um, we don't really have a time frame yet. I mean, okay. um, even if we did, <laughs> really we don't have a time frame yet. But I mean, I'm hoping. Hopefully, towards the end of the year, we should be able to announce something more. I mean, because uh, I don't want people to forget about me. Um, <laughs> but no, but it's more like I, I'll know at that stage then, you know, a much better time frame on if we can release something. Yeah, 
Yeah, well, I look forward to it because I put a lot of hours into into PUBG and Daisy as well. So I'm looking forward to the next thing you're working on. This is, I mean, I'm hoping to give people something else they can pour a lot of hours into. Right? I mean, if everything I do, it's to tr try to provide a, a good experience for the player and one that doesn't ask for much. It just gives you something to do. I hope you enjoyed listening to today's episode with Brendan Green. This podcast is now available on YouTube and all major podcast platforms. If you would like to follow us on social media, then all the links can be found on the 99% Lifestyle website. That's simply 99percentlifestyle.com. At the end of each interview I conduct, I ask the interviewee to give me five recommendations for our audience. This can be from books you should read, musicians you haven't heard of before, video games you should play, to documentaries you need to watch. These recommendations are sent out each and every week as a free newsletter to the 99% Lifestyle subscribers. All issues are archived on our website too, so if you would like to read Brendan Green's recommendations, then head over to the 99% Lifestyle website, click the newsletter page, and then click on issue number 124. If you sign up to our newsletter, then you will also be updated about new podcast episodes, blog posts, and various product releases from our print magazine to clothing products. Thank you again for listening to today's episode of the Pathfinders podcast. We'll be back very soon with episode 3.